The book of Proverbs, briefly, I chose verse 5 for you today. The righteous hate what is false, but the wicked bring shame and disgrace. So today we're in the second of a four-part series. We'll be in John chapter 8, if you like to turn to your Bible in advance. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay, I got you covered. We'll have, serve, we'll have some of the scriptures up on the wall. Next week we're going to talk about a guy named Zacchaeus. If you've been in church for a long time, you might know the song about Zacchaeus. Um, He was uh, a little guy with a huge sin problem, and he deserved to be rejected and scorned. And so we're going to talk about uh, what happened when Jesus actually accepted this guy. And um, today we're going to talk about a woman who did something terrible, and um, she got caught, and she deserved condemnation. And uh, But instead, because of the grace of Jesus, he he gives her mercy. I'm curious to ask, um, how many of you have ever been caught doing something wrong. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, right? I mean, I know. I mean, I think everybody's been caught at some point. Um, Last week, we discovered that almost all of you at some point have been caught speeding, and it's a terrible law-breaking group. You are, and um, I'm embarrassed to be seen with you, but okay, I'll get through it. (laughs) Or maybe you've been caught lying, um, or you have been caught at some point gossiping or you know, as a kid, you were chocolate-covered, and your mother said, have you been into those cookies? And your response was, cookies? What cookies? <laughs> and um, you were somehow busted by some sort of evidence that you didn't understand as a little guy. I have a friend um, who, whose mother told me this story about him. Don't you, don't you love it when mothers tell you stories about your friends? <laughs> Leave my mother out of this, okay, but... But I have a friend whose mother told me one time about, her, about my close friend, and he was a very little boy, and she got this phone call from the neighbor who told her the story that she had been in the house and knock at the front door, and this little boy had shown up at the front door, and he, his, his comment to this next-door neighbor, this lady, was, um, my mother wants to know if she can borrow some donuts. LAUGHTER <laughs> I hope he's grown in wisdom since then. Um, his secret's kind of safe with me. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, so today we're going to talk about a woman who was caught at something way more serious. She was caught in a really shameful and embarrassing way. She was totally wrong, and she was completely busted. I mean, this woman was caught. John chapter 8. And um, as we read this story together, I just pray that the, that the power and the grace of the Lord will somehow get into your soul in a special way. So John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So Jesus is outside, he's, he's in the courts, and he's, he's got this group of people around him. It might be a big group, it might be a more intimate group, I don't know. But um, this, this group of Pharisees comes to him. And uh, you should picture these guys, they've got their, their garb on so that everyone will know how holy and righteous they are. They've got their headgear and their tassels and... And uh, it would be common for you to see Pharisees walking down the street if you were in any of these cities at the time. And, and when the moment came for them to be praying or doing something, they may stop mid-stride and do something righteous and so that you would see them and know their station. So here these guys come, and they've got these, the garb of purity, the signs of their greatness 
and relation, great relationship with God, and they cast this woman in front of Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And the chances are that she had been very recently caught. I mean, maybe when they caught this woman, it was a very embarrassing moment. And um, in their lack of love, they possibly didn't allow her time to, you know, do her hair or maybe even gather up all of her clothes. A terrible moment. And um, so she's, in any case, totally and completely humiliated. I mean, this is beyond imagination. I don't even want to try to imagine what she's thinking in these moments. It's just, you know. And and just to be fair-handed about this, from the math I was taught, adultery takes two people. And there is no mention of the dude (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's some people here that feel strongly, but yeah, but, um, you know, so there's, there's some absolute double standards going on here, along with the hypocrisy. I mean, it's easy to look back in scripture and catch this, but this is a TV drama waiting to unfold or something. I don't know, but it's not good. And um, she's being shamed. She's being humiliated. She is guilty because she was caught in the act. But just imagine this scene. There's no mercy going on here. This is just, it's terrible. And unfortunately, some of you, maybe not in this particular sin, or maybe yes, but some of you have been caught in something before, and you know exactly about the voices of condemnation that come up. You know, they sound like, you know, your life is ruined. You're never going to live this down. You, you, you know, no one's going to love you after this. You know, you're supposed to be a Christian. God is never going to love you. He's never going to use you because you're, you're used goods. You're just these voices of condemnation and shame and, and guilt. And, and you don't have to even be caught in the act to feel shame. You don't. <laughs> I mean, sometimes shame actually grows really, really well in the dark. And it's often when, when we hold things secret sometimes that, that we can really feel the guilt and the, and the condemnation and the shame. And this is, that's especially true about sexual sin. Now, today's conversation, I don't want to just keep it confined to sexual sin because this is a way broader topic than that. But in this example, this is an example of a sexual sin. And, th- and, and there is so much, um, I'd say, darkness about that particular topic, and so I do want to kind of just stay there for just a few minutes. I mean, I'll tell a personal story, and I'm not proud of this, but I'll be real transparent with you. The very first time that I ever put my eyes on pornography was probably about fifth grade, and and um, uh, I a, a friend at school who had a stash of Playboy magazines, and um, you know, I mean, I, uh, he says, hey, look at this, and um, I wasn't even sure what I was looking at. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what it was. I mean, Girls had just stopped being cootie-infested aliens, as far as I was concerned. And he shows me this magazine, and um, I didn't understand what I was looking at as I was thumbing through the pages. I mean, and I didn't really understand why I liked what I was looking at, right? I mean, it just intrigued me. I felt this adrenaline rush, this, you know, this, and it was exciting. But at the same time, I felt guilt. I felt, you know, something dark and dirty about it. And, and it only got worse when I go home 
And I don't remember the conversations. I just know my mother and father were always really supportive. And they said, you know, Terry, we love you and we're so proud of you. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not true. I'm, I'm, I've, I've been looking at Miss February and you're telling me I'm good. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I make light of it now. But I mean, there were these things going on in my heart, this conflict. And I remember deciding, you know, I am absolutely not going to look at those magazines. It makes me feel bad. And I kept that promise right up till the next day after school. <laughs> and, <I'm laughs> and there I was again, you know, with Miss February feeling this simultaneous rush and guilt, you know. And for many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These voices just kind of overcome you. You know, you're nothing. You, you know, you're, you're never going to overcome this. You're, you're horrible. You're just a terrible person. And it might not be for you in the category of sexual sin. It m- maybe, maybe, maybe you just overeat. You like, you tell yourself, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you hit some bumps in life and you find yourself and there you go again. And then later you feel bad about it and you just feel so much shame. Or for some people, it's overspending. You... You know, you tell yourself, I'm, you know, you, you, you're not going to do that. You feel some doubt or you feel some shame or some in, inadequate and life hasn't been good to you. And then all of a sudden you just go out and you're spending money on stuff that you don't have the ability to pay for. And these bills come in and a few weeks later and you feel like, I'm not doing that again. And then another bump comes and you find yourself in this cycle and you just feel dark because you don't feel like you can control yourself. Or maybe it's a substance that just has you something that comes in a can or a bottle or something that you smoke or something that, you know, it, it, it's, it's some small thing, but it's bigger than you. And you feel dark because it's just not something and you, you, you're there again. Or some of you, maybe it's your temper. You just unlovingly unload on the kids and then afterwards you think, oh, they didn't deserve that. I've got to get this under control. I'm not going to be this way. I don't like myself when I'm this way. I feel terrible. My kids must not love me. And, and then something happens three days later. <laughs> and then you feel bad again. And, and for some of you, it's really not some big sin. You just look at your own life and you say, you know what, I, I'm a Pinterest failure. I can't bake a cake. I can't organize my kid's closet. When they go off to school, the clothes don't match. And so you look at yourself and you say to yourself, I'm just, I'm just not, you know, you look at what everybody else is and what you're not, and you say, oh, this, I'm just worthless. I'm bad. I'm just... And then there are examples that just, you know, they break my heart, and they break your heart too. And you think about maybe you, you, you where you didn't do anything you were just purely 100% victimized by somebody else. Someone else who had power and authority abused you. And yet, you have internalized that shame. Somehow in your mind, Satan has twisted this because of what something, someone else has done to you, you're the bad one. It's a twisting of, and, and you're thinking, well, it's my fault. I'm bad. I must have done something to bring this on. All of those things are lies. They're not true. 
somebody else did something to you and it becomes who you think you are. Shame, condemnation, guilt. This woman, if she was living in today's culture and she'd been caught in an affair, she's thinking, it's over, my husband's never going to love me, my kids are going to hate me, other women are going to look at me and they're going to whisper, oh, man-stealer, keep your, keep your husband away from her. But, okay, that'd be today's culture. But this woman, she's thinking, my life is over. She's literally thinking, my life is over. She's thinking, they're going to kill me for this, right? I mean, her sin was considered one of the top big three bad, baddest sins of the time, and um, in their culture, it was punishable by death. And she's been brought and dragged and thrown, you know, almost like this trial kind of a setting. My life's really over. She really is thinking her life is over. And we see this in verse 3. We pick up with the Pharisees. Um, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And now, these Pharisees did not care one lick about this woman, about her life, her children, her family, the other family. They didn't care about any of that. They're using her. She's a pawn in their game to trap and to trick Jesus. There's no love in what they're doing. She's just a convenient way to hammer him. And he's looking at this, and he's thinking, yeah, okay. So if he says to, her, to them, yeah, you're right. That's what the law says. Go ahead and kill her. He's going to lose his reputation for being this loving, um, caring guy full of mercy. If, on the other hand, he says, no, 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 no. That's, we're moving too quickly here. Let's back up here and uh, take it easy on this gal. Then they're going to say, hey, Jesus condones adultery. Jesus says, you can ignore whatever Moses said. So they're kind of trying to trap him. And verse tells us that's what they're doing. Verse 6. It says, They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I love this. This guy, although a, even though he's the perfect, wonderful Savior, he would have been a great at PR. Did you see what he did there? He just didn't answer their question. He, he refused to accept the premise of the question. How much wisdom is there for us in that? When somebody asks us something and they're trying to trap us, this is a, as a rabbit trail. I'm not going to go very far down it, but I'm saying, how much wisdom is there at times when we go, you know, we don't even have to answer. We just don't fail. We just choose not to accept the premise of the question. So he decides just to write on the ground. You ask me a question, I'm going to squat down and write on the ground. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so... She's full of shame, and she's scared, she's hurting, she's, maybe she's barely clothed, you know, should we stone her? Jesus doesn't respond. He, he writes down, he sits down and starts doodling on the ground. Now, there's a, been this question forever, you know, what was he writing? Scripture doesn't tell us. We really don't know for sure. It's possible. It's possible he was writing Seahawks 30, Rams 20. <laughs> could be but <laughs> i don't think so not certain that he didn't but he will we'll know later this afternoon if never mind okay 
that's where I get into trouble, okay? I'm not mature enough to do this. So, but, but a lot of scholars think that what he was writing was sins of the Pharisees. You know, I, that's what I think. So he's writing, you know, you know, moved the ancient boundary marker so you could steal your neighbor's stream. Let your eyes linger every morning on your neighbor's wife. Cheated on your taxes. Lied to your mother. I don't know. Here's what I think. I think maybe he was doing that. Whose sins? Well, Jesus is a pretty wise guy. There's a group of Pharisees. There's one of them that's the ringleader probably. One of them that's the most influential. That's where I'd go first. And I'd put his sins down with such specific detail. He'd know I'd read his mail. I don't have to answer your question. I'm just going to doodle here. Pay no attention to this. If you can, moved that boundary marker to steal your neighbor's river. Oh. Now, here's, here's why scholars think that that might be what he's doing. There's a couple of reasons. One is very early um, uh, texts or, or commentaries. That's what they said was going on. But it's not verified in the Word of God, so it's not for sure. Another, another is the word that's used here. There are two words um, that are commonly used in the Greek, Greek text that, that, that basically are for us to write down. Graphen, graphen is, is one word, and the other one is katagraphen. Kata is the word against. This is, in this case, it's katagraphen. Okay, so it's the word Jesus was writing down against is what the scripture literally says there. Maybe he was writing down the sins of these men who were accusing this woman. And verse 7 goes on, and it says, When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Okay, boys. If you're without sin, let her buck. They're looking at that list. <laughs> what a scene. And the context of this, though, is what Jesus is saying. He really, really raises the bar because he's not just saying, you know, if you're without the act of sinning, literally what he's saying here is if, even if you ever even wanted to sin, if you've never even sinned and you've never even, even wanted to sin, then go ahead on it. That's what he's saying. Wow. And there it is. <laughs> it's like, I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times that I don't sin. But I wanted to. I did. I mean, am I talking to anybody else here? Am I the only guy? That's okay. So, I mean, sometimes you don't sin, but you want to. Lisa and I just came back from our trip. Um, we were in Grand Teton Park, which is the one I love to go there. We take a travel trailer, and um, we were kind of hustling along on the roads, and I'm pulling this travel trailer, pickup truck travel trailer. And um, at one of the, you know, I'm passing through Yellowstone to get, you know, and um, there's lots of tourists, and a guy in a little car pulled out right in front of me, and I think it was going 45 miles an hour, which was the speed of I was probably doing 44 Okay, and I'm, I, but I've got this truck and travel trailer. weighs a lot, doesn't stop as quick, and a guy in a little car pulls out right. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. And I had to jam on the binders, and the truck skids, the trailer brakes skid. I mean, it's going like that so that I don't hit this guy. Now, in those moments, what I wanted to do was spin him out 
grab him by the scruff of the neck, tie him to the front of my truck. You like the front of my truck? Okay. And I want to drive him around. That's what I wanted. I'm getting mad. I'm sitting again right this minute. It's terrible. Of course, I didn't do that, but I can imagine the newspaper article, pastor of Crossroad Church turns man into hood ornament. I wanted to. I admit it. I wanted to do something. And that was just me. You should have heard the conversation from the passenger seat of that truck. (laughs) But she wanted to sin. Anyway, Jesus says, if you never sinned and you've never even wanted to sin, go ahead. Cast the first stone. Wow. Verse 8. Again, Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground. He's writing the second time now. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Now, what a picture this is. You know, she's caught. She rightly fears dying. Jesus, should we stone her? He says, okay, boys, if, you've, if you're squeaky clean, I mean squeaky, squeaky clean, go ahead on it. And what happens is the older guys start leaving first. <laughs> I chuckle about that. Because it suggests that the older guys figured this out before the younger guys. Okay, they're, they're, they're saying, oh, oh, okay, I see where this is going, and I am not staying for the end of this story. And they start leaving. And now they're all gone, and Jesus is with this, this broken woman. Who's guilty? She's sinful. She, she is completely wrong. She deserves condemnation. And he, he straightened up. Scripture, verse 10 says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Now here's what I hope you see in this. Because beyond any doubt, with absolute justice, she deserved condemnation. She was sinful. She was wrong. But because of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, he did not give her what she deserved. Instead of giving her condemnation, he gave her mercy. Mercy. And the good news for those of you who are in this some place, maybe the same place of shame and guilt and condemnation is Romans 8, 1, that says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And I'm going to say that again because I think for some of you, you need to let that get past your intellect and into your soul. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even though you've done wrong, even though you deserve condemnation, you do not have to carry guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when those voices continue, you know, you're used goods, you're pathetic, you're, you're just, no one's going to ever love you. You're always going to be this way. You can't change. Those voices, they just say, you know, you're just that way. You're filthy. You know, you don't have this ability. You, God doesn't love you. He's never going to use you. He's never going to forgive you. Remember this. 
You are not what those voices say you are. You are who Jesus says you are. And if you're in Christ, he says that you're forgiven. You're free. He says that you are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the, lamb and the words of your testimony. You're not your past. You're not what somebody else did to you. You're not. There's therefore now no condemnation. And Jesus looks at her in verse 11, and here's what he says. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin, he said. He says, be free. He says, you've overcome this. You're not in bondage anymore. I used to read this and think that Jesus was doing this. You know, okay, I forgive you now. Now stop sinning. That's what I used to think. Maybe it's because of my pharisaical heart that I come from that viewpoint. That's what I used to think. But over the years, as I have walked closer with Jesus and really gotten a better grasp for his loving heart, I don't think that's what it was at all. I think it was like this. Go now. You're free. You don't have to live in this sin anymore. It's broken. It's gone. You don't have to have that condemnation. Be free. Go on. Go. Go. With a big old smile on his face. Now, I'm going to walk out on some tender territory for a moment. Please listen to all of this before you get mad at me, okay? But, and I want to say this. I encourage you and I believe in competent Christian professional counseling. I, I believe in doing that. I believe in that. But notice what Jesus did not say here, okay? He did not say, you're free. And after about six months of counseling, you'll have overcome your daddy issues. The fact that daddy wasn't there for you and now you're too available to go. He didn't say that to her. He just, he says, Lisa and I on our trip, my thing is I want to go find animals. So we're up early in the morning one day, on vacation, somehow I get her to get up with me at five in the blooming morning. It's dark. And that's because we got a 40-minute drive in the dark to get to where I want to be when first light comes because that's when you can maybe could see some cool bears, right? I know. It's not very restful. But for me, I just love doing that. We were gone. We were there for a couple weeks, and we saw 22 bears. <laughs> And none of them were the bears along the side of the road. I mean, we're out beating the brush for the bears. And so we're off in some back country, and um, one of the times that we were there, we were back on this road that nobody has any business being on. It was four-wheel drive, terrible. And what do you know? I come upon this place, and there's these little signs, and they say, do not enter, bear warning, bears being trapped, or something like this, you know, bear study, which I'm thinking, oh, I want to go in there really bad. But I was a good boy, and we just sat there, and I thought, you know, at least I can look. Maybe I'll see a bear. Well, up comes, up comes driving this truck. It's got the little badges on the side, and a trailer on the back with this great big, it's like it was a bear trap. I thought, oh, <laughs> good thing we waited. This is really cool. So um, we talked to this guy, and he's a, he was a naturalist, and his deal was to capture grizzly bears or black bears that... Um, had become habituated to humans. In other words, somebody gave them food, okay? And what they try to do is move them 
Because if they get used to humans and food, they become dangerous to humans. If they're natural, they don't want to be around you. They're, they're really much safer, okay? So we're talking about, oh, do you ca- yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years, he says. He's caught a lot of grizzly bears, a lot of black bears, and released them. Tell me about that. Oh, well, you put them in the cage, and you get them where you want them to be, and you pull the lever, and off they go. I said, wait a minute. They always do that? You don't stand there and open the door and say, come on out, do you? Oh, no, 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 no. There's a radio thing, but it doesn't work, so we got a lever and a rope, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, what do they do? He says, most of the time, most of the time, after the drive and the bump and the shot and all the stuff, they're not very happy to be with you, right? (laughs) But still... Most of the time, when that gate opens up, they're gone. They take off like a rocket. They're free. No condemnation. They're free. But every once in a while, the gate opens up, and they don't take off. They come out of that gate, that that trap, but they act like they're still cornered, and they're angry. And they start taking it out on the truck and on the trap. And that's when we got to make sure we're in the truck until they get tired of it and they leave. And we do that. We're freed. And Jesus says we're free. But sometimes we linger around the trap as if we're still stuck in the trap. And Jesus says there is therefore now no condemnation. Walk away from it. Walk free. And some of you, I think, some of you are believing a lie that says, I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to have this problem. I'm always going to be in this trap. You think you can't be healed. You think you can't change. And maybe you've been trapped in a sin that has held you hostage for years. I believe that in just one minute in the presence of Jesus, you can be set free, completely free. I get worked up about this. Now, right now, in the presence of Jesus, that thing which has held you hostage can change forever. An addiction can be broken by the power and the love of Jesus. And I I agree, there's a process many times that you walk through Sometimes also Jesus just does it right now and it's over. Now therefore there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Go now and be freed from your life of sin, he said. Then verse 12, he continues and he's speaking to this group of people and it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You never have to be in darkness again. When Jesus looked at her and he says, you know, where are your condemners? I don't condemn you either. At that moment, Jesus wasn't the light of the world. He was the light of her world. Her world. When he becomes the light of your world, you never, ever have to walk in darkness again. Ever. And and I, I really believe that for some of you, that can become yours right this moment. Right this moment. When Jesus becomes the light of your world, you never have to walk in darkness again, ever. Because he overcame sin. He overcomes it. There is no sin in your life that's more powerful than Jesus in your life is. Greater is he than the sin sin that, that roams in the world. 
if you do fall back, if you, if you mess up, if, you, you know, if those voices come back to you, I want to say those voices are from the father of lies. They're not from heaven. They're not from God. Plain and simple, the truth will set you free. The thing is, the truth is not an idea. It's a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And, tr- and the truth is, I am forgiven, as are you, if you'll receive it. I'm healed. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither do I condemn you, he says. He says, and this woman deserved condemnation. According to the law, every one of us is guilty too. But because of the goodness of God and grace, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us mercy. And I am so grateful. I want to pray with you right now. If you have never walked in that kind of grace, you can have it right this moment. Let's pray. Close your eyes, please. Lord, I am so grateful that you love us the way you do.